0: 25 years ago, mission was a program of the church. It took its place alongside other church programs like the Sunday schools, like youth work, like women's ministry. But that's all changed. Missions has undergone a seismic shift as theologians for a number of reasons, have engaged more closely with the Bible's big picture. And now today, we may say that missions is not part of the church, but rather that the church is part of mission, God's mission, to reach and to rescue lost people for his glory. Let me start with a, a pretty heavy quote. Um, What I'm wanting to say is not going to be heavily academic, but but let me try and undergird what I want to say uh, with a quote that makes the point. I think it should be coming up on the screen. It's by a guy called Dean Fleming in his book, Recovering the Full Mission of God. He said this, mission is more than one activity of the church among others. We cannot equate the church's mission with instigating an evangelistic outreach program. Supporting overseas missionaries, running an inner city soup kitchen, or combating human trafficking, as worthy as such activities may be. These are merely concrete expressions of something that runs much deeper. We don't simply do mission. Mission is who we are. We are a people called by God for the sake of the world. The church's being is inseparable from its mission. This basic missional identity integrates everything we say and do as a church. And that actually is why you do what you do as a church. That's actually why you're moving building. That's why you have so many activities running. That's why you employ a number of staff. It's not because you want to run a respectable Christian club in the heart of Edinburgh, but because you are part of God's mission. Ultimately, it shapes everything that you do. And that's why we're going to take a look at Genesis 12 this morning. And we're going to take a look at God's promise to Abraham because this is absolutely vital to any understanding of what mission is all about. In fact, it's such a pivotal passage in the Bible that it's repeated five times in Genesis and is quoted or referred to on numerous occasions throughout both the Old and the New Testaments. I'm going to have a number of headings Uh, so that we can maybe keep track of where we're going. Number one, I want to say this, the origins of mission is the grace of God. The origins of mission, the grace of God. Now to get the full force of what God is promising Abraham there in Genesis 12, we need to put this incident, we need to get it in its proper context. And if you know something of the Bible, you're probably aware that the first couple of chapters in Genesis are dealing with the incredible wonder, the perfection, the glorious design of God's amazing creation. But it's against this glorious backdrop of God's creative work that the sinful rebellion of Adam and Eve in chapter 3 seems the vilest form of ingratitude and mistrust that is imaginable that they should rebel against such a gracious God such a glorious God, such a good God such an infinitely majestic God and yet in the first three chapters of Genesis that is precisely what we get yet even there even there when we get to that ingratitude that sin, that rebellion we notice the first rays of God's grace breaking through as against that dark backdrop of judgment. As God pronounces his judgment against sin, he announces the promise of a rescuer. And despite the physical and spiritual nakedness of our first parents, God graciously, graciously clothed them, even for Cain. The first murderer, God's protecting grace, is still evident. And when man's sin has so provoked the judgment of God that a universal flood wipes out mankind, God's grace is still seen there in the preservation of Noah and his family. From chapter 9 in Genesis, we again pick up the story of human society. It is now advancing and it is multiplying. But in chapter 12... Despite all the mercies of God, man's pride, man's rebellion is still evident as they attempt to disobey God's command, as they attempt to establish themselves and dethrone the living God. We read this, Genesis 11, verse 4. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And as a result, God intervenes. We read this, verses 8 to 9 of Genesis 11. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And unlike the other major incidents of arrogance and sin that we've seen cropping up so far in Genesis, there seems to be no redeeming features here. There don't seem to be any marks of grace. There don't seem to be any points of mercy at this part of the story. Indeed, it seems that the sin of man has so angered and exasperated God, it seems that he has withdrawn his mercy altogether. Until suddenly, unexpectedly, inexplicably, God does something with an elderly, barren couple who are living there in the land of Babel. And he makes promises to them that will shape the history of the universe. We read those promises, Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so the mission of rescuing the world begins. Not as a response to anything that man has done, but completely, entirely, absolutely out of the grace and mercy of God. The origin of missions is the grace of God, but then, secondly, the strategy of missions is the wisdom of God. The strategy of missions is the wisdom of God because we need to remember that Abraham lived in the land that was at the heart of world civilization. It was a society of immense power and self-confidence. It was a society that prided itself upon what it could achieve by its own strength and ingenuity. Sound familiar? But Abraham had to leave that land. You see, mankind's greatest minds, mankind's greatest schemes could never deal with mankind's greatest problem. No, God's rescue plan demands a new start that will ensure the glory goes to God alone. You see, in the wisdom of God, he has determined the way he will bless all the peoples so that the glory will go to him alone and to none other. That's why as we seek to reach men and women with the wonderful news of God's rescue plan, we don't look primarily to the schemes and inventions of men. We don't go to the latest management course. We don't go to the latest gimmicks. No, we wait upon God. We go to his manual and we see how it is that God will accomplish his purposes for his glory. You see, the strategy of missions is the wisdom of God. We wait upon God. God we we march to his beat but then thirdly the joy of missions is the blessings of God because there is one word that dominates God's promises to Abraham you can't miss it I hope you saw it it's the word bless it occurs five times in two verses just have a look at verses two to three I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In fact, this word occurs 88 times throughout Genesis. This word is the best summary of what God does for those that he sets his love upon. He blesses them. Well, what does that word mean? Because we use it so tritely, don't we? Oh, bless you. Sneeze. oh, God bless you. What does the word mean? Well, actually it's already occurred in several places in Genesis and and where it has occurred so far in the Genesis record it's been associated with multiplying and spreading with filling and abundance. And God uses this word to a 75 year old man and his old barren wife and tells them that somehow from them will arise a great nation that will be a blessing to the whole world but, but this blessing is so much more than material prosperity it's so much more than just restoring the benefits that Adam and Eve had forfeited by their first rebellion in fact the Bible makes clear that the greatest blessing of all is to know the presence of the living God with us that that's blessing. In fact, in Leviticus, where Moses is outlining the blessings of following God, and he's speaking to the people, he brings that section to a climax. He's talking about all these blessings, and it just gets higher and higher and higher and higher, and then it gets to its apex. It gets to the peak in Leviticus 26, verses 11 to 12, where God says, I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. Do you see? That's the greatest blessing. That's the pinnacle of blessing, to know that God is for you and not against you. To know that God has called us to be his people. And when God is with his people, as he says in Genesis 12, then those they meet will themselves be blessed. You will be a blessing. I'll bless you. I'm going to be with you. And as a result, you will bless others. My friends, that's the joy of mission. God's people could be, should be, must be a blessing to those that they come into contact with. That may mean working with AIDS patients in Africa. It may mean serving refugees here. It may mean helping your neighbor do their shopping. But in the purposes of God, the people who are blessed by knowing that God is for them are people who delight to live out a blessing for others. Blessing God with us as a result of that blessing. The blessing is shared as we live and we love for the glory of Jesus Christ. The joy of missions, the blessings of God. Fourthly, the target of missions is the peoples of God. You see, God's promise to Abraham was not just about the fact that God would bless him and his family or would bless the resulting nation of Israel. But there in Genesis 12, do you notice, it says all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And years later, when the Apostle Paul was countering the argument of certain Jews who criticized him for going to the Gentiles and, and sharing with them the news about Jesus Christ he argued that this multinational, multi-ethnic perspective actually was right at the heart of the original promise that was given to their Jewish father, Abraham. Galatians 3, 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In other words, Paul is saying that if you take God's word seriously, you'll grasp that God's plans and purposes have always been to rescue people for himself from all over the globe. In fact, when the promise of Genesis 12 is repeated on four other occasions in Genesis, you discover that two different words are used to underline the universal scope of God's promises. For example, we read this in Genesis 18, verse 18. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation... And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. And the word that is used there for nation has the sense of a large geographic entity. Scotland, England, even Wales. But that's not the expression that's used in the original purpose to Abraham here in Genesis 12. There, the Lord uses a word that indicates a far smaller grouping. In fact, to illustrate its meaning, it's worth having a look at. Do you you remember that story about the sin of Achan uh, who dissipated God when they were destroying Jericho? It's fascinating because it helps us understand something more about the small groups that God will work with. Because in Judges 7, we read how God took the nation of Israel. You know, There was someone wrong. They had to find out who the person was. So they took the whole nation. And that nation was then broken down tribe by tribe into the 12 tribes. Judges 7.14, in the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. Probably it was tribal representatives who did that. And then, the tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. And it's that word for clan that's used here. Other translations talk about families or, or kinship groups. And in fact, in the New Testament, when you come across Peter or Paul translating the Hebrew promise of Genesis 12 into Greek, they use Greek words meaning extended families or ethnic groups. So what we need to grasp from all of this is that God's purpose announced to Abraham is to bless representatives from every single Clan or kinship group or ethnic grouping on the face of this planet. And that means, in turn, that all God's people who share God's heart will have a passion. To see men and women from every one of these groups hearing and knowing and understanding and receiving his saving grace. That's going to be our heart. If mission is what we're about and we understand mission from Genesis 12, then our heart, our passion here will be for all the ethnic groups, all the clans on the face of the planet. I was looking into this and I can say with certainty that there are going to be at least 89 Scottish people in heaven. Now, my research told me that there are 89 major clans in Scotland. You may be one of those historians who would like to argue with me. Don't. I took it from the internet, so it must be right. Uh, but 89 major clans. Can I just say, Clan Paterson? I'm, I'm, I'm the first disappointment. I come from a long line of Scots. I'm the first one who was born in England. I do apologize for that. But Patterson with one T, there is a Clan Paterson. I discovered. We even have our tartan bad night, I may even go and buy myself a cure. I don't know, but there is a Clan Patterson, and I'm delighted to say that there is going to be at least one from Clan Patterson, and I know there's going to be more than one from Clan Patterson. You see, what a privilege we have God is saving men and women from every ethnic group, from every clan, from every extended family on the face of this planet. And do you know the wonderful thing about Edinburgh is the world comes here? Do you realize the wonderful privilege and responsibility that you have in this church, here in this location? From here you can reach the world. Do you know one of the great blessings you have in this church are your international friends and visitors? If you are here and Scotland is not your country of birth Can I just say it's great you're here. I'm so pleased you're here. And I hope you feel loved here. You should feel loved here. I reckon you are loved here. But this is such a privilege for this church that you are here. And one of the wonderful things we heard last night was how this church has been reaching out with the good news of Jesus Christ and has been sending workers to all the groups and the people groups and the ethnic groups on the face of this planet around the globe. Bless you, Charlotte Chapel, for what you're doing. What a privilege we have because this is God's purpose. He is going to save men and women from every clan and tribe and ethnic grouping on the face of his planet for his glory. What a magnificent God of such diversity. God, forgive us when we want everyone to be like us. Our God is a God of diversity who is saving men and women across the globe. And if you're here and you're not born in Scotland and you're going to go back to your country, bless you and may God use you and give you a heart to reach even more ethnic groups where you are. The target of missions is the peoples of God, but then fifthly, the message of missions. And the message of missions is the Son of God. But maybe if you've got the passage open in front of you, you'll go, hang on, you know, <laughs> we're well trained in Bible ministry here at Charlotte. As I look at that passage, you say, there's no message given to Abraham. How can you say that, Andy? Andy? He's simply to leave the land of Babel and go to a place that God would show him. So how can you suggest that the message of Christ is included in these verses? Now, it's true that the only action required of Abraham was to leave his country, his people, and his father's household. But remember, readers of Genesis will have been wondering what had happened to God's promise to provide someone who was going to destroy the works of Satan. Do you remember there was that promise back in Genesis 3? God said, I'm going to do something, there's going to be a rescuer. People reading this through consecutively will be going, where's the rescuer? Where's the redeemer? And careful readers will now have seen that this promise is contained in the fact that childless Abraham will become the father of a great nation. It's clear that the promised rescuer will come through him. As God actually confirms to Abraham in Genesis 12 verse 7, to your offspring, and the word is singular, to your offspring I will give this land. And actually, this is the point that Paul develops when he writes to the Galatian church. Do you remember that? Galatians 3.16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So it actually is all about Jesus. He's the promised rescuer. He's the serpent crusher. He's the one who will bring blessing to all people groups. It is Jesus who is the only hope for the world. Little wonder that Paul wrote this to the Galatians. Galatians 3, 7 to 8. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Paul says, this is the gospel. It's here in advance. All nations will be blessed through you. And we must grasp that all true biblical mission, whether it's around homes here, or in the hospitals of Afghanistan, or the tribes of Papua New Guinea, must be centered on Christ. He alone is the one who can bring true and lasting blessings. It's his work alone that can free the billions enslaved by sin. It's his work alone that can bring harmony to fractured lives. It's all about Jesus. The message of missions is the Son of God. Sixthly, the challenge of missions is the command of God. The challenge of missions the command of God. See, the promises that God made to Abraham here in this passage were certain and sure. God was certainly going to do these things. In technical language, we would call them unconditional promises. It wasn't a case of God saying, look, Abraham, let's, let's do a deal. If you do certain things for me, I'll do certain things for you. No, have again uh, a look again at verses 2 to 3. God says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all nations on earth will be blessed through you. Here are these promises, unconditional promises that God speaks to Abraham. So these things are going to happen because God has promised. But at the same time we need to realize that these certain promises are inextricably linked with Abraham's faith and obedience verse 1 Genesis 12 the Lord had said to Abraham leave your country your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you I will make you into a great nation you see if we're to know God's blessing and be a blessing to others it requires that we participate in the purposes of God See, God's chosen that his sure, his certain promises of blessing to all people groups will be accomplished, but it will be accomplished through the faith and obedience of his people. So it's not enough for us to sit in our seats. Happy in the knowledge? Well, isn't it wonderful? The good news about Jesus Christ will most certainly reach every corner of the planet. That's wonderful. You sit here and you go out, well, that was wonderful. No, no. Actually, it requires our own obedience and faith to see it accomplished we can actually be participants in the greatest drama of human history rather than just passive observers so the question must be what does God require of you so that his certain promises will be fulfilled it may not be to go to the land I will show you But it may be, and some of you have heard that call and some of you have gone. Praise God. It may not be to leave your country, your people, and your father's household. But it may mean using your gifts, your abilities, your time, your effort, in other ways that he is indicating that will be for his glory and praise. My friends, it's time as it were to leave your seats in the audience and come on stage and join the play. God is working out his purposes. There is nothing more exciting or thrilling than to be an active participant in the purposes of God. That's what world history is about. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about your wealth, your health, your prosperity. It's about the glory of God. And he is building his church, and the gates of hell are not going to stand up against it. He is saving men and women across the globe. The church is growing. He is accomplishing his purposes. Jesus is coming again soon. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will have to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And you're going to be part of that. You, be part of that mission isn't just for the professionals the people who come up here year after year and get interviewed because they are doing something in some other location you are as much a missionary as the great people are who've been interviewed from this platform that's your work that's your calling the challenge of missions is the command of God will you be involved in that will you do what God calls you to do so that men and women may know of his grace and mercy Seventhly, don't often say that, but here we go. And finally, the centrality of missions. And this is the program of God. If you want to try and understand the whole of human history, and indeed if you want to grasp the Bible's big storyline, then you have to do so in the context of Genesis 12. In the context of missions. You see, the whole of human history is an outworking of God's people experiencing God's blessing and then going and being a blessing to others. The Bible's big storyline only makes sense when it's understood in this way. And for us, this side of Calvary... We now understand the things that Abraham and all the Old Testament prophets longed to see. We know how God does it. We know it is through the cruel death and glorious resurrection of God incarnate, Jesus Christ, that the serpent is crushed, that sin is dealt with, that fractured lives are made whole. We know that by faith in Christ, men and women are adopted into the family of God and made heirs with Abraham of all the promised blessings. And we know how that promise will be completed. Because John was given a glimpse of what will take place so that his revelation would encourage struggling and persecuted people. It's deliberately here in the scriptures. It begins in a garden, it ends in a city. Revelation five, verses six to thirteen. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sits sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll. And to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. This is God's mission. This is what you are about corporately as a church and individually as a believer. Let's pray.